everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. And this is Team Get Over It. We're an all-female team participating in the greatest motoring adventure on the planet. The Mongol Rally. We'll be driving 10,000 miles across mountains, deserts, and unknown terrain. And along the way, we hope to spread our feminist and environmental ideals. Join us here as we share our stories, thoughts, and interviews as we get ready for the Mongol Rally 2021. Okay, hi, and welcome back to the Get Over It podcast. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, Today we're talking about Cool Earth, which is one of the amazing charities we're raising money for. We'll walk you through what they do, why we love them, and how you can help. Yeah, exactly. And thank you to our episode sponsor, Ladybug Potions. We're so excited to be working with this company. As eco-friendly consumers, we always try to find products that are made in the most natural way possible. And Ladybug Potions has a line of health and beauty products that are completely natural and non-toxic. Yeah, it's always nice when you can look great and also help the environment. Yes, it is. So let's talk about the environment because right now it's not doing too hot. Or maybe it is too hot. (laughs) Maybe it is. And that's why we're doing this rally to raise money for Cool Earth. Why are we supporting Cool Earth? Well, it's the official charity of the Mongol Rally, but we're also passionate about the environment, you know, as hikers and as women who enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And so, like, what is Cool Earth? Because, you know, I think we've mentioned it on podcasts before or like in our social media posts and we say we're raising money for Cool Earth. But if you don't know what it is, you know, you might be saying like, you know, what the bleep are these girls doing? Um, So Cool Earth is basically a UK-based international NGO that was founded in 2007. And they work in tandem with local rainforest communities to mitigate deforestation and promote substantial, sustainable practices. So their goal really is to combat global warming while providing employment for local communities. Yes. And so to that end, Cool Earth has kind of three main goals that it tries to work towards. So the first one, number one, is to keep rainforests intact, right? Rainforests are totally important and integral in our survival and the survival of many other species. So obviously that should be first and foremost. Uh, Number two is to ensure that everybody has a say. So like we were saying, they do work in tandems with, with other communities, um, but they want to they want to be able to find the solution that works well for both the environment and for the people who are living next to and using the rainforests. And then, of course, last but not least, number three, um, everything that they learn about while they're talking with communities or while they are working on, um, you know, sustainable farming methods and things like that, everything they learn from those experiences, they also share. So they'll share their knowledge with communities, they'll share their knowledge with governments, and then also other nonprofit organizations. Yeah, you know, it's, it is, it's a really amazing organization that does really great work. And as we already mentioned, they are the official charity for the Mongol rally. And so the Mongol rally, or the adventurous, the sort of, I guess, um, man behind the curtain yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, of the Mongol rally. They've been partnering with Cool Earth since 2013. And so in the last seven years, they've raised 1.4 million pounds for Cool Earth. That's incredible. That's so cool. And Cool Earth, like it's not just centered in the UK. 
Um, they work in many countries all across the world, right, that have substantial either forests or rainforests. So, for example, they've worked in Peru in South America, Mozambique in Africa, Papua New Guinea in Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Ecuador, Democratic Republic of Congo, Cameroon. And then also they they also are involved in the Queen's Commonwealth canopy, which is something that I, I wasn't even aware of before. So, you know, I learned something new, learned something new every day. Um, but the Queen's Commonwealth canopy is basically, uh, it, it encompasses about one fifth of the world's forests and it spans over about 52 countries which is incredible. So they also work to protect that area as well. Yeah. And so over, I guess you can say the expanse of these three continents that they've worked on, they've actually so far protected 99,162 hectares of rainforest, which was, it's like an incredible statistic when you think about it. That's amazing. Because in their work so far, they have stored, get ready for this, 15,679,250 tons of carbon. <laughs> like, wow. Are they the, you know, shining knight in like armor of the <laughs> environment? Like, <laughs> that's I think incredible. So. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about, we sort of already talked about Cool Earth's three goals, but what is their approach? Like, how are they doing this? I think they're they're pretty amazing. They kind of look at the big picture whenever they go into an area, right? So they have a, a sort of like a, like a ten step approach when they go in anywhere. So the first one is they meet with local people, right? So they they meet with the you know indigenous communities or even small just communities that are living alongside the rainforests, um, and with them they concoct a plan. So that's like their second approach, right? Or sorry, first they discuss, they meet, discuss. And then they plan alongside these people, right, in order to try to find the best solution. And then from them and like from doing research around the environment, they learn, right? So they're learning about like what the problems are, um, what it is that they need to do to protect the area. And then that's when the money comes in. So then they invest. So they invest in things like infrastructure, because a lot of these places too, a lot of it is sort of um, like agricultural, Right. So it's like they're using like maybe unsustainable or like more traditional styles, but also very destructive styles of agriculture. So they invest in order to create more sustainable practices and they also empower. So they give those people the power, especially uh, legal power that they need in order to protect their lands from things like governments and like big companies so they can maintain their lifestyle and maintain the forests. And then once all that stuff is set up, they still stay in that area. They don't just leave, but they stay in that area to monitor the situation, right? Seeing what kind of changes occur over time, checking in, making sure that like, you know, no, nobody's trying to encroach on that area and change up uh, whatever good they've done there. And then every so often they sort of review their plans. Like, is this still working? Does it need to be changed? Um, has the environment changed? Cause even though like, you know, with, we know with climate change, uh, we need to constantly be vigilant to make sure that what we are doing still works, right? So they do that. They do a review. They report. And then, of course, like we were saying before, they also share. So they kind of gather all of that data. They gather all of that information and they share it across 
you know, uh, multidisciplines, environmental groups, maybe even anthropological groups, and with other NGOs. So just everybody has like the best data they could possibly have in order to protect the forest to their full capacity. Yeah, so that's Cool Earth. And that's one that's the, I guess, one of the charities that we're raising money for. But you know, I think a really important question is why are we raising money for them? Like, why are the rainforests important? And I think it's important to talk about that and have that conversation, especially in today's climate, um, mm. pun intended, uh-huh. where rainforests are being destroyed. Um, but rainforests are super important to this planet. They're home to over 6 million species of plants and animals, and they hold a fifth of the world's fresh water. Um, And they also are a huge carbon sink. So they actually trap a quarter of the world's carbon and produce a fifth of the world's oxygen. So, you know, they really make up for a lot of the breathable air. Yeah, so important. And like, not only that, either. So like people, people, ourselves, right, also use forests in sustainable ways for their livelihoods. So for example, they uh, might go in there to collect medicinal herbs and plants, Um, also edible plants. So things that they can eat, obviously there's a lot, there's just like a wealth of just edible things in the rainforest, some of which we haven't even discovered yet, I'm sure. And also rubber from rubber trees, especially in the Amazon rainforest and hunting, right? In sustainable ways, kind of like small scale, like hunting and gathering happens a lot in those rainforests. Yeah. And the sad thing is that I think really over the past few decades, we've started seeing, you know, a huge widespread destruction of the rainforest on this planet. Mm, Which is horrible because like when once the rainforest size is reduced so much, uh, then it just disappears. So rainforests are self-sustaining. Right. But it still needs like a certain amount of trees in order to do that. If the forest size is reduced too much, right, the whole thing, the whole system is going to collapse. So right now, scientists are predicting that if things continue the way they are, the amazing rainforest system will collapse like in the next 10 years. Right. Especially for the Amazonian rainforest, which is uh, one of the ones that we're seeing like significant deforestation. Yeah. And so, you know, when we were preparing for this podcast, Caitlin and I started looking up like why did the deforestation of the rainforest start like what was it and what caused it and it actually I think has a really interest interesting history to it um so the deforestation of the rainforest didn't start really until the 1970s and that was when we saw the first big wave of deforestation and it happened in the Amazon in Brazil and so what happened was basically Brazil's military regime at the time looked at the rainforest, which at the time was mostly uninhabited, and saw that it had this huge potential for profit deep in the forest. Um, Because essentially, there were 5 million acres of, you know, quote unquote, resources, but most of it at the time was inaccessible. Right. So in order to kind of tap into this, the government started building uh, the Trans-Amazonian Highway, which connected the more rural parts of Brazil right, to the more central part of Brazil. So at this time, most of the population of Brazil lived in the southeast. So think about like close to Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. Those are huge, huge like economic and also just populated centers, right? So, but the government wanted people to move out west to help cultivate the land. So we're talking about very fertile lands. Um, so they're, they're wanting to utilize it for farming and, and other things. So they offered free land along this highway in the Amazon 
which of course created this huge kind of land grab and rush, like almost like a gold rush, but it was more like a land rush. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so most people that sort of hopped on this land rush, as you can say, turned their land into pastures to raise cattle because that was considered sort of one of the more profitable industries at the time. Um, And when they needed more, when they needed more land for their cattle, they would just take another plot and convert that into pastures as well. And so at this time, we saw 20,000 kilometers of deforestation each year, which started creating what is known as the arc of deforestation, um, which is essentially an arc that goes along the highway that was just loss of forests. So tragic. Oh my gosh. But also, also at this time, there was an increase in meat consumption. So like think of, you know, fast food restaurants, for example, and globalization. So between like 1960 and the early 2000s, meat consumption around the world had almost doubled from what it was before. So there was this huge demand on meat, especially beef. And as a result, because their uh, farmers now or ranchers, I guess you would say, are raising so much cattle because of this increase in like beef consumption. Uh, there was also an increased need for soybeans, which served as a high protein feed for farm animals. Right. And it was a huge economic opportunity for countries like Brazil, uh, which were suitable for growing soybeans. Right. So like not only are they getting a lot of profits from, you know, raising cattle, but even soybean farmers are seeing a huge profit as well. Yeah. And so sort of the impact of this was that by the early 2000s, the farmers who had turned that land into pastures decided instead to turn that land into massive soy farms because it was just more profitable. They were able to get more bang for their buck um, Mm. per acre, so to speak. Mm. And so ranchers then who sold their land to these sort of massive soy farms, they also needed places still for their cattle and they needed pastures to feed their cows, I guess you could say. Um, And so what they did is they sold their pastures, but what do you do when you need more land? Well, they just went further into the rainforest, clearing more of the Amazon, often illegally. Um, (sighs) And so the arc of deforestation just sort of grew and grew. And which, of course, garnered a lot of attention of environmental activist groups, right? So these groups were putting a lot of pressure on the government to protect the rainforest, which was being, of course, destroyed at unprecedented rates. It's very alarming. Um, So the Brazilian government at that time, under President Lula da Silva, finally stepped in. Finally. Yeah. So under President da Silva... Marina Silva, who was the Minister of Education, expanded the amount of rainforest under government protection, which is awesome, you know? So it went from 28% of the rainforest being protected to 47% by 2012. And so the way that she did this basically was that she added more reserves where business was strictly banned. So no business could be done. So she created more areas of the rainforest where It was completely protected. But then she also created what we call sustainable use reserves. And these are areas of the rainforest where business can operate, but it's businesses like nut harvesting and rubber tapping, which don't destroy the rainforest and actually benefit the local communities. So there were areas of the rainforest where uh, sustainable businesses were allowed. Um, So we have these reserves. And then in addition to that, she also demarcates more land for the indigenous people who preserved the forest. So it really became the shared and sustainable space. That's incredible. 
That's really nice. I mean, I think we need more of that today, honestly. Mm. Uh, yeah. So the remaining land, so after everything was separated and, and kind of parceled up like that, the remaining land was, you know, pasture and agriculture. Um, however, however, to prevent further deforestation in the unprotected rainforest, uh, governments strengthened what we call or what they created called the forest code. Farmers could use that land, I guess, but they could only clear up to 20% of it. So even if it's like their private land they need it for pasture, they can only clear up one fifth. The, the remaining one fifth of, or the remaining, sorry, four fifths of their land had to remain intact with trees, right? They weren't allowed to clear everything, which did huge, huge, uh, I guess, good for the health of the rainforest. Yeah, it was a huge win for environmental activists in the rainforest in general, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so Marina Silva sort of created these regulations that were meant to protect the rainforest. But the key to enforcing these regulations was strengthening a police force um, that we know of as IBAMA. Um, so, and that's spelt with an I, so not Barack Obama. <laughs> um, although, you know, we also love him. Um, but Obama with an I, I-B-A-M-A. And so Obama was a police force or is a police force, I guess you could say, that tracked and fined people for illegal deforestation. So they would track the business owners that were cutting down more than 20% of their private land or people that were illegally seizing reserved and protected areas. Um, and so it actually worked, you know, this police force was able to really, protect the preserved land and deforestation fell by more than half by 2006. Wow. That's incredible. Those are some really interesting statistics. Uh, and then also at that same time, there was pressure on the fast food industry for the complicity in this deforestation. So like we said, like most of the demand for beef comes from globalization, I guess, in this demand on, on fast food, right. Or the popularity of fast food. So I guess several uh, CEOs and chains and, and whatever got together. And in 2006, they signed a soy moratorium, right? So which means that they're only buying soy from existing farms and not from any new farms that kind of pop up. So because of that, that means that there's not going to be any further, hopefully, deforestation, right? And then so three years after that, um, beef companies also signed a similar agreement. So only buying beef from existing ranches, which hopefully puts a stop to new ranches being created. Yeah. And so with all of this going on, it was really an amazing time in terms of environmental preservation. Deforestation plummeted to record lows. And it really looked like we had sort of curtailed the deforestation of the Amazon rainforest. And then, you know, at the same time, like the beef and soy industries actually continued to grow. They continued to profit because they were just learning how to do their stuff more effectively basically there's always a way mm -hmm. yeah it was a win-win win-win-win-win mm. win-win yes and then and then it all went to shit <laughs> <laughs> it all went downhill today's podcast is brought to you by ladybug potions Ladybug Potions is a natural health and beauty company dedicated to developing the most effective natural products that enhance physical health and beauty, while also focusing on strengthening emotional health and inner beauty. That's one of the things I really love about them. They were 
made with holistic wellness in mind. So not only do they have cosmetic and nail products that are completely natural, but they really believe that health and beauty is about more than what's on the outside. Exactly. And that's why they have their supplements or potions, right? So they really take a holistic approach to empowering women, which I totally support 100%. They want to improve physical, mental, and emotional health through their products, right? It's very responsible and awesome of them. So their goal with their brand really is to elevate women by making them feel great on all levels. Don't even get me started on their supplements. I literally swoon. I am obsessed with their literally feel great potion because like you look at the ingredient list and it's just apple cider vinegar, turmeric, and cayenne pepper. Like you can't get more natural than that. Yeah, and a na- with a name like that, how can you not feel great? So true. And the amazing ladies at Ladybug Potions want you to feel great too. So right now you can actually go to their website and get 30% off their entire product catalog by using the discount code OVERYIT30. That's O-V-A-R-Y-I-T-3-0. Like I know we're recording a podcast right now, but I think I got to (laughs) go. I got to order some ladybug potions. Yeah, honestly, I'm right behind you. And then after that, so enter the Ruralistas, right? So the Ruralistas were a group of conservative politicians who represented the interests of the agricultural industry. So, of course, the agricultural industry wants to grow like any industry does. Uh, and But in this, in this case, not in sustainable ways, right? So they, they began gaining influence in the government. So at the beginning, they started out with 17 seats of Congress in 2013, but then that increased to 30% of the seats by 2012. So they were gaining immense power in government. Yeah. And so that was actually enough power to convince the current president to weaken the forest code. So that was the code that limited the amount of forest that private landowners could deforest or cut down, basically. And so in 2016, they actually gained 44% of the seats. And that was enough to push the president to slash Obama's budget, essentially crippling the agency's ability to enforce the new regulations. Yeah, not only that, but they also passed a law that made it easier for people that illegally seized land in the Amazon to keep it. So kind of, I I guess, like squatters rights, that kind of thing. So they just go into the forest, start slashing and burning. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, I claim this land for put a little flag on it or something. Because in in the past, if they did that, then the government would just seize the land back. But now they're like, well, I guess it's yours now. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And And that served, I mean, not only were they not allowed or not able to get that land back from those people, but it emboldened more people to do it. So, I mean, some people were seeing like, oh, well, Buddy over there just cut himself a nice swath of the rainforest. I'm going to do the same. Yeah. And I want to be able to sit here and say, you know, it got better. We got back on track. But it actually, it gets worse because in 2018, Bolsonaro, which you might be familiar with, he was a right wing congressman and an ally to the ruralistas. He was elected president, and on his second day in office, he transferred the Forest Service, which had previously been under, as you might expect, the Environmental Ministry. He transferred it to the Agricultural Ministry, who really had, you know, zero um, motivation to maintain it 
and to maintain those regulations. Obviously, talk about conflict of interest. Like, come on. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then so because of this, right, the agriculture ministry worked to systematically weaken the environmental ministry, right? They totally undercut it. So, you know, everything was just in the, I guess, for profits, uh, for profits in the pockets of these, you know, government officials and also uh, farmers and ranchers, right? Under Bolsonaro, deforestation has increased significantly and primarily in the protected areas. So originally those areas that Marina da Silva worked so hard to create legislation for and protect, those are disappearing. Yeah, which is just so disheartening. It's horrible. Because I feel like if any part of the rainforest is going to be protected, you really want it to be in those areas that are demarcated for protection. Yes, exactly. And so as a result, so remember Bolsonaro's elected in 2018. In August of 2019, there were over 30,000 fires burning in the Amazon. And most of those were set to sort of clear land so that it could be converted into farms or pastures. And... For that figure, sort of just to put it in context, that's three times as many fires as there were the previous year. Yeah, I remember when that was happening and like the news was reporting, uh, well, Bolsonaro was saying, he said that the fire, no, 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 they're just natural fires. They're seasonal fires. It happens. But it's three times as many as eight, like August 18. You know what I mean? Like August 2018. Mm-hmm. So no, they were man-made. It's horrible. In the last 50 years, it's estimated that 17% of the Amazon has been deforested. That's a huge percentage, right? That's almost one-fifth of the Amazon is gone. If this rate reaches 20 to 25%, like we said before, because the Amazon rainforest and and all rainforests are self-sustaining, it could disappear if we get to that amount. So it wouldn't be enough, right? We wouldn't have enough trees to cycle all the water it would need, right? And it would cause trees to die, which of course, in turn, would release a huge amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere because we said that they are, you know, heat, or not heat sinks, carbon sinks. So if it's gone, then all that carbon that was being trapped in those trees is just going to be released into the atmosphere. Which is terrifying to think about because we're already at 17% of the Amazon (laughs) destroyed and that's 3% more and... You know, the world as we know it, like you think summers are hot now, like just wait until all of that carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere. The carbon dioxide and also just like decrease in oxygen production, because we said before, like rainforests are responsible for like 20% of the world's oxygen production. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that that's sort of like a brief little recap of like the history, I guess you could say, of the deforestation of the rainforest. But Caitlin, what are the biggest threats to the rainforest today in this present day at this moment as we sit here talking? Yeah, so for for most, in most cases, like all around the world, logging and then also agriculture. So clearing land in order to create fields for crops or fields for grazing animals, those kinds of things. Um, and, And the crops differ from country to country. So in Mozambique, uh, the land is being cleared for potatoes, growing potatoes. And in Papua New Guinea, a lot of logging is happening um, to make room for like palm oil plantations. And then also, like we were talking about in South America with the Amazon rainforest, the the biggest problems we have are like soy farming and also ranching. Yeah. So what can we do as 
individuals sitting here, what can we do to help protect the rainforest? Do we go out? Do we like tie ourselves to a tree and make sure no one burns it down or what? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, if you're in those countries, you can try. Um, but, but one of the first things that we can do is try to support companies that are committed to being environmentally conscious, right? Like ladybug potions, for example. Um, our voices and consumers carry a lot of weight. When we shift our spending to green and organic companies, we're telling the industry that we prioritize the environment and that will have a ripple effect on other companies. So use your own buying power, essentially. So try to support green companies like that. Yeah, that's so true. And also just along that same vein, limiting consumerism in general is a great way to help the environment. Because, you know, if you think about it, in most parts of the world, there's just sort of this consumerist culture where we just buy so many unnecessary things that are wrapped in plastic containers and put into plastic bags that end up sitting in the back of closets where we just forget about them and end up buying more things wrapped in plastic and put in plastic bags. Um, when in reality, we don't really need all of it. Yeah, exactly. So if we, I, I totally understand, or I totally agree with that and feel the same way. So if we cut our consumerism and then choose to direct the purchases we do make, because of course we all need to buy something sometimes, um, to green companies, right? That'll make a huge impact on the individual level. So it's something that individual people can do to help the environment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And another thing, and I think actually you see a lot of people doing this just sort of as a result of COVID is trying locally or growing your own food. Um, I know like personally, my family right now, we have our herb garden and tomatoes and basil out in the backyard. And not only is it better for the environment because, you know, we're not buying stuff wrapped in plastic shipped from like around the world, but like it tastes good. It tastes mm. so good when you pick a tomato off your vine and just eat it straight away. Oh, that freshness. And it's more nutritious too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The nutrients are, are, are a lot stronger, I guess, or more concentrated in like a fresh food like that. There are so many benefits. So, like tons. Um, and I guess like on the flip side of that, you know, globalized food companies create a lot of waste. I was actually watching something recently on TED Talks and it was this guy and he, um, like he was, he was concerned with the like global food crisis I guess and then but he was I mean he's from the UK and he would go and dumpster dive on the back of big grocery stores and there'd be skips just full of food like totally edible food but because it was past its like expiry date um, set forth by the company even though it was still edible perfectly edible they had to throw it out and just waste so much waste right and because we create so much waste like this it drives up food production which increases farm sizes in developing countries right which usually don't have many conservation laws yeah and then in addition you know those globalized food companies also have a huge environmental toll just by transporting that food mm. from one side of the world i know I mean, you and I have both lived abroad, and so I think it's a conversation that comes up a lot, but airplanes, oh, yeah. have, they have a huge like carbon footprint, and so that's one of the things I think I see a lot right now is people trying to travel more in more eco-friendly ways, but when you're getting food shipped from the other side of the world, like just think about the carbon footprint of that, I don't know, papaya or what would be shipped avocados Something. avocado Something. Yeah. yeah just think about the impact of that and the carbon footprint 
Yeah, not only planes too, but also boats. And apparently, mm. the thing with the thing with ships too, like it takes a, a huge amount of fuel just to like move those things through the water. Number one, number two, they use like extremely dirty fuel. Also, it's not it's not like the nice clean fuel that we'll put in like our cars or something like that. It's really like I don't even I don't know how to describe it, but it, apparently, it's like even more polluting than anything else combined is just like shipping over water. Yeah. It's crazy. I actually, so I took an oceanography course when I was in college, which was super interesting. And we learned, so the ocean right now, I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's definitely one of the biggest carbon sinks. It takes so much carbon dioxide out of the air, but because it's being polluted so much, like eventually the capacity for the ocean to absorb carbon dioxide is going to reach its limit. And when that happens, they're predicting basically like all the ice caps melting, the set of the start of like you know, um, like, oh, I'm going to like totally butcher it. It's probably not this, but it, it, there's something about like the ice caps melting and then like weather just freaks out and then we have another ice age. Oh my gosh. So okay. not good, friends. Yeah, not good. Other things that we can do is compost your stuff, right? Because I know like in America, like where, when I grew up, um, because I grew up on a small island, so we were actually really kind of progressive in waste management. So we had to separate all of our trash. So we had like one which was uh, trash, I guess, like plastics and things that didn't degrade. And then we had compost, which was anything that was biodegradable. And then we also had recycling and we sorted recycling by type. So we had, you know, like metal cans and glass bottles and we had our paper and then we had like tetra packs and cartons and different things like that. And so we we were very progressive that way. So I was like, you know, shocked. It always shocks me when like Americans just kind of throw everything in one bin and I'm just like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> waste management and cost posting can be so beneficial to the environment, but even also to the economy, right? So like in Korea, for example, uh, they had this like really big problem with food waste, right? And it was just kind of like all rottening, rotting in a big pile somewhere in the middle of the country in some kind of landfill. But what they did uh, eventually to in order to tackle this problem is that when you have food waste and it has to be some, it has to be food. It has to be things that are like technically edible. So like leftovers or like uh, rinds or something like that. Um, you would put it into a bag, which is then collected and it's turned into like animal feed and fertilizers for the farms. Yeah. Honestly, Korea has like one of the best, I guess, composting systems I've ever seen. They save billions of tons of compost by doing this every year. And it's like such an easy model I think for other cities and countries to take on and I remember when I came back from Korea and so where I am like there isn't really we have three trash cans and so you have um I guess what you can say as your compost it is it's um but it's more for like plants so like tree like leaves stuff like that things from your garden so there's a bin for that um and then we have recycle and regular trash but in terms of food waste you know you have like your garbage disposal, I guess, but it really usually like for most people in America just goes straight into the food bin, which is crazy because you can compost that, turn it into soil to grow oh, yeah. your food in your backyard, you know? Yep, yeah, that's so true. 
And then obviously one of the easiest ways to help protect the environment is to donate to organizations like Cool Earth, right? Which are actively working to combat deforestation and climate change. Yeah. And so if you donate to Team Get Over It, shameless plug, um, (laughs) you are helping Cool Earth to continue the amazing work that they're doing. Yeah. And there's also some cool benefits. Yeah. We have a range of rewards for donating. Some are more interesting than others. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, You can look at our website, but, um, you know, some examples, like you can get postcards or coffee from along the rally. That's a good one. Um, There's also ones where you can make us embarrass ourselves. So you Mm -hmm. can pay us to make a music video or even get a tattoo. Yeah. And so, like, if anyone's out there and they're like, wow, um, if you know us, like, we're very open to tattoos. We like tattoos. Yes. Um, but you can choose a tattoo for one of us and we'll get it. I'll get it. That. I'll get it. Um, and then, of course, also we have T-shirts. So if you really want a T-shirt that has a picture of ovaries and then it says get ovary it, which I think is perfect work attire. It's a lovely shirt. You know, let's very really sassy. let's startle your boss. <laughs> confuse your neighbors. Let's start conversations. Yeah, especially the conversation starter is true. I have some friends that I've sent this t-shirt to and like I've seen them wear it and stuff. And they're just like, yeah, I was getting stared at, but I felt great. <laughs> when I uh, was doing my yoga teacher training. So, you know, we sweat a lot. So I would go through my entire wardrobe. And I remember there was one day where I started the day out wearing a shirt, a shirt that says not dressed for boys, sort of just like in the corner nice. of it. It's like one of my favorite shirts. And then, you know, we did our yoga. I took a shower. I changed. I came back in my Get Over It shirt. Honestly, everyone loved it. Like the entire cohort was like, where do you get your shirts? Where can I get them? So you guys get your shirts. Get your shirts. (laughs) Message us. We'll we'll hook you up. Yeah, we'll find we'll find a way one way or another, because like with the shipping is. (sighs) But we'll find a way. We'll make it if happen. we have to deliver it by carrier pigeon, we will get your shirt to you. Yes, it just might take a year. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> be patient, but it's going to happen. Um, so if you're interested in that, if that piques your interest in some way, all of our info is on of our website, which is www.teamgetoverit.com/slash/donate. So on that page, we have a really handy and uh, easy to read. Was it called donation tier, I guess, which tells you exactly what kinds of rewards that you can get by donating to us. Yeah. And thank you again for tuning in. This episode was brought to you today by Ladybug Potions, a brand dedicated to developing the most effective natural products that enhance physical health and beauty while focusing on strengthening emotional health and inner beauty in the process. Exactly. And don't forget to check them out and use the discount code OVERIT30. So that's O V A. R Y I T three zero four and get this 30% off their entire product catalog. Yeah, it's amazing. It's honestly so nice of them to offer that. So go give them some love on social media. All of their links and their discount code will be in the podcast description. Absolutely. And thank you so much for listening today. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed learning more about Cool Earth and their work in the rainforest. Tune in again in two weeks when we bring on a special guest to talk about simple ways you can go green in your daily life and how we've been trying to do it in ours. Bye! That's it for today, folks! 
Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, please support this work by subscribing and donating to our cause at www.teamgetoveryit.com. Donors get access to specific content like stickers, t-shirts, and postcards from our journey. You can donate for as little as $5 and the benefits build from there. Go to our website for more information. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Team Get Over It. Thanks for listening. And catch us next time on Get Over It.